Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. And today we are talking with Grant Muirs, sound designer, sound editor, and re-recording mixer, on how not only music, but also sound design can affect storytelling and an audience's experience and emotions. Grant Muirs is a sound designer, sound editor, and re-recording mixer based in Los Angeles, California. Grant is the founder of Snow Globe Sound, a sound design and post-production studio that focuses on both animation and live-action storytelling. He has been a part of the creative teams behind numerous award-winning projects, and his diverse work includes feature, narrative, and documentary films, broadcast television, short films, music videos, and commercial and branded pieces. His latest project, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, is a modern retelling of Frankenstein and is directed by newcomer Bomani J. Story. So Grant, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. I am so um, enthralled with sound design and sound editing and the, I guess, just the whole listening aspect that brings another level into these creative projects. And um, I just have a lot of respect for the people that create that. So thanks for coming and chatting with me about what you do and how you do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I hope I have something insightful to say. So can we just start pretty much from the basics? What's the difference between sound design and sound editing? Well, there's definitely some overlap. Um, maybe I'd have to come up with a, a, a metaphor that sound design is much more, I think, conceptual. Um, it would almost be like, I would say, like an, an architect, like trying to come up with the the plans behind something, then maybe the sound editing would be more like the contractor and construction of actually constructing something. Um, so sound design is definitely like working with a client and trying to find a palette, trying to find the kind of overall vibe of a project. Um, and then sound editing is much more nitty gritty, kind of... Uh, um, executing that that vision. Okay. So I do both. So there's definitely some some overlap. Yeah. So the sound design, those are meetings that happen. Does that happen pretty early on in the production Sometimes. process? Yeah. It, it kind of depends project to project. Okay. Um, there's definitely in, um, sometimes in the budget, there's, there's um, what's known as like spotting sessions. So for like a, if we're uh -huh. talking about a feature film, We'll kind of sit down um, with the director, maybe some producers, um, maybe the composer, and kind of we'll all sit down and watch the movie and spot through. And the director can say, hey, when I was on set, this is kind of what I was imagining things to sound like. Um, and it allows everybody to kind of throw out some ideas and get a good good sense of the, um, like I said, the tone, the tone and the palette of a, of a project. Okay. And so when you're talking about the tone and the palette, so you're talking about, are you talking about like the Foley, like the sound effects that happen in the thing? Or are yeah, you talking about how the dialogue sounds? What are you talking about? Kind of all of that. It's all all encompassing. Um, I definitely come from kind of the sound effects side of things. So that's kind of what I gear myself towards. But it can be the same with like dialogue. Um, if there were, let's say, issues with... Um, the recording on set, um, if there's a generator in the background or something, that's something to like ping of say, 
hey, maybe we need to re-record these lines. Um, or the director might say, this is a really intimate scene, so I want the dialogue to sound really like asmr or, mm. you know, really kind of close, close-miked. Um, and, you know, and then we also talk about the ways in which music is integrating with everything and to say, hey, this, I want this scene with just music. I, I don't want sound or vice versa. Um, in um, The Angry Black Neural Monster, actually, there was a um, section of the film, which I might, might talk about more in depth later, where Bomani, our director, didn't want any music mm. and just wanted sound. And was like, this is your moment. This is your moment to shine. Um, <laughs> so that's, those are the kind of things that that we talk about in that process. Okay, so that's interesting. So there was a time, there's like a whole sequence where there's no music. It's just you, your time to shine. Did you approach that and in sort of a compositional sort of idea? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much of it is about, so it's the, um, our movies, uh, as you mentioned, a retelling of Frankenstein. And so it's kind of the it's the resurrection sequence where the monster is is okay. being being born or reborn, and um, so it's all this electricity. And I really did kind of approach it in this compositional way, where there has to be kind of a, a build up, right. right? You can't kind of let everything out of the gate like start with your you can't pull it out of all the stops immediately. You kind of have to build, and it's all about kind of texture, too. That's something that I'm really obsessed with in sound design, is the way that that kind of things texturally make sense, uh-huh. I guess, um, the way that they, they feel. Okay. All right. So, and uh, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster is a horror film, too, and sounds huge... <laughs> aspect yes. of horror films. So when we're talking about texture, so you mean like the crackle of um, like the electricity that you were saying, yes. is that kind of the texture you're talking about? Yeah, or okay. even when to introduce like low-end elements too, you know, or okay. the way in which you can use the whole frequency spectrum to your advantage and you don't want to like use all of it right away, but to kind of build build those elements up in as you go, um, in in that case, um, yeah. But you know, horror horror is very very sound driven. Um, you know, obviously in this film we have we have a monster, and you know a lot of the conversations are what does the monster sound like, um, and how can we work with um, Adam, the actor who plays um, Chris and the monster? How do we kind of integrate his performance, which I think is so so fascinating and, and human and heartbreaking and monstrous and and how do we kind of do do that how did you do that what was your approach to it <laughs> so um we had adam in for um adr which is like re-recording actors um mm-hmm. and what we did is we set up like a vocal chain uh-huh. in pro tools and there were I think about three elements. There was a pitch element where we can kind of change the pitch of his voice. We had then a layer of kind of sound effects that we have this plugin that is able to introduce more sound effects elements. So like, I think we used 
certain like big cats, like leopards and lion growls kind of. And then there was a kind of distortion element. Okay. Wait, hold and, on. Go back to the sound effects. So there was yes, big big yeah. cats. Like and yeah. so he would be recorded and it would mix. And into... it would trigger Yeah, it would trigger the the sound effects to be in real time with his voice. Oh, so it gave it kind of like a growly yeah. sort of sound. Oh, and then you added some distortion to it. Now that all happened in real time as you're recording, so you could adjust it? Yes. And so actually um we could then adjust it in the mix as well. So when we were on the mix stage, we could kind of play with these elements and we had his clean, clean voice recordings. Oh, okay. And then the way that the kind of each element responded in real time to his voice, we could kind of play with that and say, hey, this is too distorted. Let's dial it back. We want more animal here. There was definitely a talk about how to peel back those elements and make him more human in certain moments and then where oh, to okay. kind of go in the more animalistic direction. Oh, that's so interesting. So that very much is like uh, storytelling because in some of those more human moments, you would take some of that effects away and make him sound more human and then you would dial it up when he's being more, I guess, primal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, I mean, sound is such a story-driven aspect of, of filmmaking that, you know, I'm constantly thinking about what drive what drives the story? How can we tell the story better? You know, there are certain elements that happen maybe off screen that you wouldn't notice. Or and so much of sound design is you're building a world. Mm -hmm. um, in our film, it's like a housing project, and it was shot in um, North Carolina during the summer. I know it was really hot on set, and everybody was like sweating. And so I, as a sound designer, I wanted you to feel that. I grew up in Florida, so I know what a humid hot summer feels like and sounds like and um <laughs> and so you know i put in a lot of like the cicadas i was and, wondering and, about that yeah 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 <laughs> um and so you really kind of feel you know in the housing project of trying to it's it's not the most high budget movie and so there aren't too many extras on screen and to kind of you can help that with sound and fill that in and make it feel like a really lived in place that that really exists yeah, yeah like a busy place well as you mentioned the cicadas i lived in north carolina for a couple of years and um, when i first moved there with my husband i was like what is that noise why is it so noisy and he's like what because he grew up in north carolina he's mm. like what are you talking about and i opened up our back door and i was like that what is that noise? And he's like, oh, that's just the cicadas. I don't even hear them anymore. But yeah. I can see that is 100% world building. Yeah. Because if someone had ever, ever lived there, to hear that in the background would 100% bring them into the story. Yeah. And if you didn't hear it, it would actually kind of take you out of the story a little bit. Right. And, you know, one of the things about sound is that it's also this kind of unsung hero, mm -hmm. too, where if you do a good job, Sometimes it won't even be noticed. But if you have bad sound, that is something that really, <laughs> everyone, really... Everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, everyone notices and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So, so much of sound is like making a project be a seamless experience that the audience is immersed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I like how you were saying that you had a direction and you had kind of a buildup or a crescendo in in that one scene. Does that kind of carry over? Is there like a sound arc 
throughout the whole film or is it scene by scene? It's definitely more scene by scene. Um, yeah. I think if you have maybe a shorter project, but a feature film is like... Most movies are broken up into like reels mm -hmm. as we're working on. So it's broken up into maybe 15, 20 minute segments. And um, even story-wise, we almost think in that way sometimes. Okay. For me, it's such an overwhelming process sometimes sitting down with a blank Pro Tools session at the beginning of a film, you know, and just like, where do I start? So sometimes it's a lot easier <laughs> to kind of sit down with a scene yeah. or something I'm sure maybe it's that way with music as well. Maybe there's a particular scene or, or a particular part of a piece that you're really excited about. And it, sometimes it's best mm -hmm. to start start there. Yeah, start there and get things going. And then it kind of just all blossoms out from there. Yeah, and then things kind of start falling into line. What was the most difficult scene in this film for you to either come up with the sound design or maybe the editing was difficult? I think, honestly, that the electricity sequence was um, because that was, as I mentioned, Bomani kept calling it my Jimmy Page guitar solo moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where he's like, this is all you. And, and um, I was kind of like, all right, okay. And I think that sequence is maybe, honestly, probably one to two minutes. It's really not a lot of screen time, but it took me days to to cover everything mm. um, and go through and make sure, you know, and then Bomani and I sat down for a while and and um, went through it kind of sound by sound and there was stuff that he liked or wanted to feature a little bit more and there's stuff that he didn't like um, and to kind of work together on this. That was definitely the biggest kind of heavy lifting mm -hmm. part of, of the film. Now, where do you get the sounds? Do you have uh, like pre-recorded libraries or do you record them yourself? Yeah, so it's a, a little bit of both. Um, there's definitely, I mostly use sound, sound libraries um, that I've, I've purchased mm -hmm. and licensed, but I really love working with Foley and stuff as well um, and kind of making things bespoke on projects. So I did actually edit the, um, we call uh, props on this film, which are the kind of the footsteps and there's like cloth and then there's kind of everything. People are picking stuff up and setting things down yeah. and everything. Um and I love doing full engineering as well. It's a really fun process to kind of record bespoke things for a film. Okay, so when you're saying Foley, is, is that's like recorded later, right? Is that what you're talking about? Or do they actually record it while filming and then you go in and edit that later? It's it's later. It's after after the um, later. What okay. we call like picture lock. So once the movie is like locked and the editing is done, then they will hand it off to us for post sound. Um, a lot of a lot of big films you can kind of work as you go when they have the kind of money mm -hmm. and time um, and that kind of luxury. But for independent films and stuff, it's um, picture lock is usually the kind of start when everything kicks off. So you have so you go into your studio and you have the picture lock and you're there with like shoes tapping on tables. Yeah, so um, I worked in this film with a studio here in Burbank called This Is Sound Design. Mm -hmm. And our uh, Foley artist is a guy named Mike Miller, who's incredible. And so he, you know, that's his his job, is making noises in a room full of junk. Um, <laughs> and so he, yeah, he has all sorts of shoes. He's walking around in high heels sometimes, um, you know, <laughs> trying to get it as as real as possible to to picture. And so we have 
on a film I worked with them last year. Um, it's an upcoming film called Cabrini, um, which t- takes place in 1890s New York. We actually went around to a lot of the prop houses here in L.A. to get all these like vintage suitcases and um, the characters were carrying around like the old like oil lamps and stuff uh-huh. and, you know, walking and creaking. So we we probably looked like maniacs going around to antique stores and prop houses <laughs> listening to things. You know, like, yeah, this leather handle really creaks well. Let's let's grab this suitcase. <laughs> That's great. And then so he records it and then you edit that in so you make sure that it is right on the right frame. Yes. To sound yeah. real. That is um I have a I have a background when I was um coming up and I was an intern at a sound studio, a lot of my responsibilities were with Foley. So I have a very like attuned ear and sense of it's called yeah, sync. Um mm-hmm. of like and there are 24 frames in a second on film. And to really get things tight sync-wise, I think really adds to kind of the... There are some things you can kind of fudge uh, if you're running low on time. But um, I really like, you know, when things are really... It's immersive, like I said, of, of like making everything sound right as it's happening. Mm-hmm. So your ear has to be very developed and really keen to to be able to time that out right i'm sure yeah and sometimes there there can be issues with frame rate or sync and then things can start to drift um mm-hmm. and you start to notice it too i've i've noticed that just like watching like streaming or something mm-hmm. there's kind of a lag it will like take take me out of it <laughs> and that just i'm sure it just bugs you yeah <laughs> you're like hold on let's pause it we need to right. make sure that this is working because I can't watch this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you're also, I see that you're also a re-recording mixer. And from what I understand, that is the person that puts everything together at the end, all of the sound together. Is that, am I right in that? Yes. Yeah. So mostly the mixing that I do is on smaller projects, mm-hmm. short films and ads. Um, our re-recording mixer on Angry Black and Monster is uh, Nathan Rule. Um, who also is the owner of This Is Amazon Studios, who is just immensely talented and creative. And I really do like, especially in a feature film, handing off work to a mixer mm-hmm. um, and kind of separating that that side of things because it's great to kind of have another pair of ears mm. on everything. Mm-hmm. And I generally work from home and it's so nice to like go to a, a mix stage and have somebody else you know, either vindicate you or be like, hey, we, <laughs> this isn't working. We need to kind of, you know, and sometimes I do um, like stage support for movies too. So when things are on a mixed mix stage as a sound editor coming in and adding like, hey, we really need a car buy in the background here that wasn't covered. Can we grab that from you? Um, so mixers are kind of the last step of the process and getting everything I would, you know, it's similar to music mixing of handing off to, to somebody and kind of making sure everything sits, making sure the the frequencies aren't clashing. Mm-hmm. And especially once we introduce music into the equation, because oftentimes sound design and sound editing happens simultaneously with music composition. And so oh. sometimes they don't always talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and so of making sure that they do. Okay. So has it ever happened that the music and the sound effects just 
don't work? Sure. What yeah, what all do the, you do? All the time. Just turn down the music? Either hope not. Some yeah, sometimes oftentimes, sometimes either turn on the music or the sound effects. Okay. And a lot of it is feel. You're kind of mm-hmm. sometimes going through things intuitively. It's really nice when like the composer and sound people are able to kind of put aside, you know, egos and say like, oh, I really love this this sound effect that I put in, but you know what, it's just not working. And I think it would be best yeah. to just have the scene with music. Several instances on Aaron Black and a Monster where there were cues that Nima, our composer, put in that once we got to the mix stage, he's like, I actually don't want any music here. Let's kind of go all sound. Um, and we vice versa, too. If it's like, hey, these sound effects aren't working, let's let's take them out. Yeah, so the ego is just can't be there. Yeah, it's, I mean, I it's a very creative industry and a creative field. And um, that's definitely something that I had to learn as the older I got was to, was to kind of put aside my own personal, what I wanted out of a film. And I think it's really important to serve the story and the film itself, um, as opposed to like say, hey, I, I really had a great sound effect here. I'm, I'm disappointed it got cut. Or I need to fight yeah. for it, you know. Sometimes you win those battles and sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's best to let go, you know. Yeah, just just let it go. Um, is it just because you put so much work into it and you're like, this sounds amazing. I I really love the way that this helps the story. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's, I, you know, it's the kind of sunk cost fallacy. Oh, yeah. Right? Of like, hey, I put so much effort into this. I, I really liked what I did here. <laughs> um, but what's really funny is that always happens where... Sometimes you're like, oh, I, I don't know how I feel about that sound. It 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 does it does the job, but I don't love it. And then that's what people are like, oh, that's great. Oh. And then sometimes you're like, oh, I I really love this thing. And people are kind of like, mm, no, we can we can get rid of that. <laughs> so when it's like kind of a meh, and they love it, you're like, oh, you just take the win. You're like, yeah, I'm yeah. a okay, sound I'll, genius. I'll yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your background because you obviously have a passion sure. for sound and for design and for, I mean, composition, really. So how did you get into uh, sound design, sound editing, and re-recording? So I am a musician. Um, I kind of came up in high school playing guitar in a bunch of bands. We actually had like a steel drum band in high school um, that I played I was in. in a steel drum uh, band once. Really? That's crazy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. a lot amazing. of fun. What did you play? Uh, I, I played guitar in it. Um, oh, in the steel drum band? But, yeah, <laughs> I, but I could I could play the steel dr- drum. We had the um, steel drums where the notes were all written uh-huh. on the. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, you kind of have on, to have those at yeah. your beginning. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so they were they were easy to figure out. But I also am self taught in a lot of instruments. I taught myself bass um, through guitar, and I actually wanted to play drums. That was the first instrument that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I was in a jazz band in middle school. Oh, cool. Um, but I got assigned the tenor sax. So I played that a little bit. And then I taught myself drums because I really wanted to play them. And then I took like piano lessons growing up. And so I had that background and then kind of re relearned that myself too. Um, and then I really started to get into movies in high school and especially like film scores. Like I was a big fan of... Radiohead and hearing like Johnny Greenwood scores for like There Will Be Blood and a lot of where 
musicians and bands kind of transition into mm -hmm. film scores, I think is like a really interesting space. And that kind of got me into films and filmmaking. And um, then in school, in college, I went to Chapman University's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts. My freshman year of college, I took a really wonderful class with Professor Roy Finch, um, which was a sound class. I didn't even know this existed. I didn't even know it was a job. And there, I remember we were like learning about Jurassic Park and how they created the like dinosaur sounds where they were like layering yes. pigs and sheep and lions all together to kind of create the like T-Rex. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And I had messed around with like Pro Tools in high school. And so I had a little bit of background in that and immediately took to like sound design. Uh, Professor Finch put me onto a senior thesis film as a freshman. He was just like, hey, you're interested in this? Why don't you do this film? And I was in way, way over my head. It was like a sci-fi sci film called Dark Star. And um, so he brought in another student to help me, uh, my friend Jackie Zoe. And we immediately hit it off and collaborated on this film. She's still one of my like best friends today. That's kind of how I got into it. Like I was just dropped dropped into it and was like, okay, let's figure it out. And you know, we were we were students. We made mistakes in the film, but I think it it turned out really well. And I kind of went from there. And you love it. Yeah, I I like work is always still work. You know, there's the old adage of like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Not true. It's <laughs> it's it's still work. It's still work. But I don't think I could do anything else mm. you know i mean it's it's so rewarding and fulfilling and there's nothing like taking a project and making it feel polished sound always makes things feel real and mm -hmm. there are so many clients that are like sitting on the mix stage and like it feels like a movie now it was we we're in editorial and we we're sitting on these teeny tiny monitors and the sound wasn't there and now we're in a theater watching it mm. it feels like a it feels like a real movie yeah. And that's just so rewarding to have that feeling. Absolutely. Now, how long are your work days? Usually they're 10 hour, 10 hour days. Okay. I'm in the union. I'm in um, local 700 of IATSE. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are um, productions and, and, and work days, but I do a lot of non-union stuff as well. And for the most part, I, I tend to work two hour days. Okay. But, but my, my question about that is that those are long days and I can imagine that your hearing gets tired and your yes. ears get tired. How do you protect yourself from like, you know, hearing loss? You know, those those long-term problems that can happen sure. if you're um, listening to things all day. My dad is definitely concerned about that, maybe more than I am. Oh. He had like he's like sent me earplugs um, <laughs> before. But in the short term at least, there definitely is a level of fatigue mm -hmm. that happens. Um, especially if you're working on something I love action, and I work on a lot of action. For example, with yeah. the um, Harley Quinn series, it's very action-packed and very action-heavy. And sometimes mm -hmm. you're listening to these punches that are right at the level of distortion, you know, right you're oh. up at, like, zero. Yeah. And um, there's definitely a level of, like, hey, I just need to take a break. I need to let my ears recover or even cut my day short mm -hmm. and, like, let's let's tackle this tomorrow. Um because there's definitely a level of fatigue that can that can happen for sure. Mm, yeah, so you just ha kind of have to like monitor yourself and see how you're doing and um, yeah, I take mean, a break you know, and work I on think something else. 
I would imagine it's like with with any any work that that burnout is always a looming thing on the horizon and that you always have to take it's important to take breaks or even if you work at a computer all day i fatigue too mm-hmm. um of just being yeah. able to step um, away and creatively too i mean i'm somebody that really lets things likes to let things percolate mm-hmm. um that's kind of in my creative process is like i need to kind of think about things mm-hmm. and you know I'll be in the shower or something and think of a sound idea and be like oh why didn't I try that and I think another thing that you've done which is so smart is you've started snow globe sound which gives you a chance to collaborate and like you said hand things off to other people so that you're working as a team I'm sure that helps with burnout and to prevent burnout and keep yourself healthy Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I love working with This Is Sound Design. It's a really great team over there. And it's, uh, I love being able to kind of hand things off and and trust and know that everything's going to kind of not only get done in a timely fashion, but be good. You know, I, mm-hmm. with any work, it's hard to find, you know, good, reliable people. But I love uh, the fact that I have started this business and it lo- allows me the freedom to kind of work on I have so many different projects from from ads and 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 broadcast TV and animation to you know feature films and stuff and I love the kind of freedom to choose what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that helps with burnout too. If you're working at a in a studio environment and you're going into an office every day and being told what to work on, um the passion isn't always there. Um and it's great to mm-hmm. kind of be able to I think life is short and you should work with your friends. <laughs> and that's that's <laughs> my my philosophy. Um, <laughs> it's a good philosophy. So cuz I know that you're very creative and I also know that owning a company is very administrative at the same time. Um yes. how do you balance the administrative part of owning a company with the creative part of being a creative person? It's tough. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, that's definitely not, you know, chasing down invoices and and billing and all that stuff is not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, is it anybody's? No, no. You know, I I just try to take it as it comes. Okay. And and um, you know, I have I have some pretty regular clients, and so I'm not always necessarily chasing down down people to pay me on time, but it is. Mm-hmm. You know, or just like managing managing clients and managing personalities mm-hmm. too can always be can always be tough. Um, or like I said, when you're working with your friends, it's it's great. But it's definitely yeah, it's not my favorite thing to do. I I, I do it because I have to because you know the the freedom the freedom and flexibility is worth it in my opinion. Is worth that little extra administrative and managerial issues that you've got yeah. to work with a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. Is how is it set up? Is it kind of everybody has their own thing and then you come together when a big project comes in or do you have people reach out to clients? How do you how have you structured this uh business to work for everybody? It de- it kind of depends on the project. Um sometimes mm-hmm. for example with Harley Quinn, I work with a studio called Alice Oceanic and they had come to me um and contracted my company out to do sound design editorial for them um, for Angry Black and Our Monster. Bomani and I had worked together on a film called Rock City Row, which won the uh, Slamdance Film Festival in 2018. And we got to know each other through that and become really good friends. And so when 
he had wrote, written that film. And when it came time for him to make his directorial debut, obviously he kind of came to me through Crypt TV, was the production company. And I was able to connect Bomani and Crypt TV with me and the sound design. And we were able to bring them in to Nathan's studio and show them around and kind of put in a, a bid for it um, as a kind of joint entity and then went from there. Oh, I love how collaborative it is. Not just not just the actual filmmaking, but just it seems like there's this whole community of creative sound people that work together and um, make these great things. How did you meet Absolutely. everybody? Especially starting out on your own and being freelance or owning a company. I remember I kind of started that journey back in like 2017 and it's tough yeah. at first, you know, I mean, without any connections. Um, but it all kind of happens like organically, like my friend Jackie, who I brought up would recommend me for certain projects and um, I would kind of gain a client there and they would maybe recommend me to somebody else. Atlas Oceanic found me through my work on Gendy Tarkovsky's Primal. And I started working on that show because I had um, interned and worked for um, Asienda Post, which was the post facility that did that. And so it all kind of, I mean, I, I have gotten like hit up on LinkedIn, you know, which I like hardly ever use, but people will find me really? there or find me through my website. But most, mostly it's like word of mouth. Word of mouth. And mm -hmm. Chapman has a really great kind of alumni network, informal, just group of us that are kind of graduated at the same time mm -hmm. and have all kind of come up in the industry together. And so it's great to kind of have that, yeah, network to kind of all be recommending each other for everybody's everybody's jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Grant, you are awesome. I love that you have such a wonderful um, creative side, but then you also have a very practical business side. And I think the two of those are so important for any creative industry whether music or sound or art or anything. So I just love that. As we finish up, what advice do you have for people who are interested in sound and want to be doing what you're doing? It's going to sound cliche, but perseverance is definitely key. You know, it, mm -hmm. it takes a while. And to like, don't be afraid to start small and and just try to do things on your own and figure stuff out and and put put some sounds together, just kind of experiment. And you'll learn, I think, through that experience of like, you know, even when I was coming up, I used short films as a great playground sandbox to kind of just experiment and try new techniques. And I think that really helped me to kind of be able to have that kind of, yeah, just the play playground, like pl play around, see what, see what works, what doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. So just play around and then keep working at it at the same yeah. time. Keep just Absolutely. doing it. Yeah, that's great. But Grant, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for um, chatting with me and teaching me all about sound design and sound editing. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians versus the World podcast in our conversation with Grant Muers, sound designer, sound editor, and re-recording mixer. I will have links to his latest project, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, which was released on Shudder in September, along with more information about Grant and his other projects in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. 
Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also find a video version of this interview on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.